Hey, Mary, how's it going today? Hey, Joseph, going well, a little morning sickness, but other than that, I, I think I'm doing quite well. <clears throat> hey, Mary, I had this encounter with God last night. I was sleeping, and in a dream, an angel of God spoke to me, and even though it was in a dream, it was so clear what this angel had to say. And the angel told me, do not be afraid, Joseph. And then this angel went on to talk about the baby that is inside of you, of what this baby is going to do for the world, of taking away the sins of the world. And even though it was in a dream, it was, it was so clear what this angel had to speak to me. Joseph, you remember, an angel spoke to me too just a few days ago. Now, this angel didn't speak to me in a dream. The angel spoke to me in real life. So maybe my experience was a little more authentic than yours. But hey, that's neither, neither here nor there, all right? And the angel spoke to me and said, do not be afraid, Mary. And this angel was so kind and gracious and clear about what was happening both in my body and also in the world. And Joseph, just, just to think, our parents raised us, raised us to, to ask God to bring a Messiah into the world. And now a Messiah is coming into the world and you and I get to play a part in this story. But Joseph, what else did the angel uh, have to say to you? Well, Mary, do you want the bad news or the good news? I think we should always start with the bad news, Joseph. <clears throat> Mary, the bad news is, now hear me out, all right, because a lot of weird things have been happening in the last few days. Hear me out. The bad news is, up until that angel spoke to me in a dream, I, I was planning on divorcing you. All right, but hear me out, all right, hear me out. I had made plans because just all this is so weird. I was, I'm a little confused, so I had made plans just even though we're engaged. I know that the only way to break off an engagement is through divorce, so I had made plans to divorce you quietly. I wasn't going to put it on social media. I was going to try to honor you, all right? Um, but the angel spoke to me and said, take her as your wife. So I just wanted you to know I, I still want to take you as my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mary, this angel spoke to me in a dream, and it was so clear of the plan of God that is happening in this world. And Joseph and Mary got married, and they lived happily ever after, and nothing bad ever happened to them or to their family, all right? Which is not quite how the story goes. But I want you to think, wouldn't it be great in one of the birth narrative stories in the Gospels if an angel spoke to Joseph and Mary at the same time. Because if you're engaged, about to be married, and there's an event that's going to happen in your life that is going to change everything about your life, you would think having them in the same room to communicate the message would be good. But instead, that's not how it happens. And I can't help but think the rest of their marriage, how often Mary brought up this little moment of, Joseph trying to divorce her quietly. I wonder if she ever had those moments of, uh, do you want to change Jesus' diaper or are you still plan to divorce me quietly? Right? You're going to do the dishes today or are you going to divorce me quietly? And I'm not trying to make light of divorce. It's part of, it's part of the story. According to Matthew chapter 1, Joseph had already made plans to do it before he hears from an angel in a dream. The whole Christmas story we celebrate every year is full of suspense and drama, and in the world there were plagues and wars, and people were at each other's throats. There's, uh, there's adventure, there is wonder, there's amazement. It has all of it. 
a couple of writers who I enjoy reading, they wrote a book called Jesus. How about that? And in the book, they say the Christmas story is part of a larger story that addresses a world of injustice, suffering, and even death. The joy of that first Christmas wasn't a cute joy, but a joy that overcome, op, overcame obstacles and barriers. So here's what I want to do today. We're in a series right now called When Heaven Speaks. Last week, we talked about when heaven spoke to Zechariah. Four different times in the birth narratives of Christ, you have a voice from heaven that speaks into the life of a human being or human beings. Next Saturday night at our community Christmas service, we're going to talk about the voice of heaven that speaks into the life of Mary. Next Sunday morning, how the voice of Mary speaks, in, or voice of heaven speaks into the lives of shepherds. But today, I want to talk about the voice that comes to Joseph. And there's a lot that happens. So to do this, I'm just going to I'm going to do it in eight parts. I'm going to have eight words or phrases, and they're going to pop up on the screen. I'm going to speak to them. And, and as always, when I preach, I don't just want to offer up information. So I hope somewhere in how we think about Joseph today, there will be parts of this that will resonate with your soul. And the first thing I want to talk about is genealogy. Because if you make a commitment to read through the Bible or read through the New Testament, you're going to most likely start in Matthew chapter 1. And whenever I'm talking with people, especially people who don't know their Bibles well, I encourage them to start out with the New Testament. And then I always throw in a caveat. When you start in Matthew chapter 1, you're going to read over 50 names in a genealogy. And it, for some people, I bet some of you, you just skip over it whenever you start reading through the New Testament. It's just name after name after name. In the genealogy of Jesus, and some of you have done deep studies on this, a few people appear. You have Judah, who was a Jew, who had sex with his daughter-in-law, thinking she was a prostitute. You have Tamar, who was a Gentile, who bore two sons out of incest. You have Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute. You have Ruth, who was a Moabite. And the Moabites' lineage began with incest between Lot and one of his own daughters. You have David, a king who committed adultery and murder. And Bathsheba, a woman who committed adultery. Now, in that context, some of the women prostitution may not have been something they chose it may have been chosen for them but when you read about the lineage of Christ you see a lot of people who lived messed up lives and it's almost like God is saying from the very beginning of the story of Christ is that there's he's ushering in this whole new plan to save the world and in this there is no past that is too shameful that God cannot redeem it and make it beautiful that there's no past, there's no family lineage that the power of God can't step in at some point and break chains and give people a vision for Christ and move people in a new direction that will bless generations to come. There's nothing in your past that God looks at and isn't able to make it into something beautiful. God is great at making something beautiful out of messes. The second, and this is in a quote, is son of Joseph. And I have a few references up there, even though the references, uh, the, the verse is not up there in the Bible. And I don't want to make too much of this in the New Testament. But you never have Joseph mentioned as Jesus' father. But you do have Jesus mentioned as the son of Joseph. It became part of his reputation. Now, what's interesting is, after the age of 12, we don't know what happens to Joseph. 
So up until the age of 12, we have, we have Joseph who is present in the birth narrative of Christ. Up to two years old, we have Joseph who is at the, when Jesus was 12, you have Joseph and Mary, they're all in Jerusalem together. After that, we don't know what happens to Joseph. We don't know if he dies. We don't know if there was separation, if there was death. We don't know if this was by plague or by disease or by the persecution of some form. We don't know. And Jesus never took time in his public ministry to address whatever happened to Joseph the one he was the son of. But there's something about Jesus being born to where there was a mother and a father in which God is demonstrating that the, there is value in having a fatherly and a motherly presence in the lives of children. It's God's design. Now, prophecies in the Bible, there are prophecies about this Messiah being born of a virgin, but there are no prophecies about a Messiah being born of a son of a carpenter, or whose dad is a carpenter. No prophecies about it, yet God valued there being a fatherly presence in his life. I want you to think about reputation and identity because this becomes a really big part of Joseph's story. It takes years to build a reputation. In one moment, you and I can ruin it. It can take years and decades for you to build a reputation that other people know how they know you, and in just a moment, we can ruin our reputations. In some ways, reputations are earned, but when your reputation comes under attack, it can sting. And I want you to read Matthew chapter 11. It's not on the screen, but I'm just going to read 18 through 25, and I just want you to think about the reputation that Joseph has already built in his life. It says the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. That when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord. And then in verse 24, 25, it says this. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So he's obedient. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had, had born a son. And he named him, he named him Jesus. Our reputation is what other people think of us. It's not what we think of ourselves. I don't know any of us who look in the mirror and just admire your reputation. I love the reputation I have of myself. It's what other people think of us. Scott McKnight says it this way, our reputation, what others think of us, is not as important as our identity, who we really are. Spiritual formation begins when we untangle reputation and identity and when what God thinks of us is more important than what we think of ourselves or what others think of us. In the kingdom of God, it's not that our identity, or it's not that reputation gives us an identity, it's that our identity in God is meant to help build the reputation that we have in the world, not vice versa. And this is Joseph's issue. His issue is that he has a fiance who is pregnant. And he knows that he's not the daddy. And it's not just what will people think of her, even though that th I think that's a part of it. For Joseph, it's what will people think of me, my reputation. Which leads me to the fourth word, and I want you to highlight this in your Bibles. It's the word sadiq, which is that word righteous that appears. 
And this word righteous, and Scott McKnight does some really good work with this, and other scholars who, who come on board and they believe it as well, is not just a term that's being thrown around. It's actually a label that was given to people. It's a label given to people who study and learn and observe Torah. So these are people who are building lives of spiritual leadership. So, so to become a Sadiq, you are reciting the Shema multiple times every day. You're committed to a life living for God. You are following food laws. You are tithing regularly. You are honoring holy days. So I want you to think about Joseph, who's making decisions in his life, either to become a Pharisee in a good way, becoming somebody who is a teacher of the law, possibly a priest. Like he has spent years of his life becoming this righteous person, this label that gives him spiritual authority and that builds him as a leader. So can you sense inside of him the turmoil he may have been experiencing? Which leads to the fifth phrase, a pregnant fiance. This is the big deal. Now, in your life, have you ever been in a conversation with someone or a conversation with a friend where you hear about a birth and you hear about a wedding and then you start doing that birth wedding math? You know what I'm saying? You don't do it out loud because it would be a little awkward, but inside you're doing the, the birth wedding math. So their firstborn child was born in December. They got married in February. All right, all right, okay, good. Yeah, I think they're fine. Baby was born in December. They got married in August. Oh, mm, yeah, the wedding mat, the baby wedding mat doesn't add up. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? You've done this before? Church people really know how to do wedding to baby math, right? <laughs> and I think the rest of his life, Joseph and Mary were going to have people who were going to be doing that baby to wedding mat. The rest of Jesus' life, people were going to be doing the baby to wedding mat. And for Joseph, the reputation is on the line because an engagement there back then, it lasted about a year. And the only way to break an engagement was you had to go through a process of, of divorce. To be engaged, it was, there was already an agreement that had happened. So it's not just like today where you can break off an engagement and you don't have to go to the courthouse, you don't have to go to a judge, you don't have to go to clergy. Back then it was different. So pregnant during an engagement meant some form of adultery because in that year of engagement, you didn't live together, you didn't sleep together, and now something miraculous has happened. Most believe that Joseph's desire to divorce her quietly was an attempt to protect her dignity. And on some level, it was also a way to protect his own. The one next phrase I want you to see is they both hear from God. So if you want to read about it, Matthew, Matthew gives you the version of how Joseph hears from God. Luke, in Luke chapter 1, gives you the version on how Mary hears from God. Now, I wish somebody would have, like, put them together so we could see how they heard from God or have had them in a conversation where they could at least process what it was like. And for Joseph, it comes in a dream. And I don't know in your life, or even when I've told a story or two about Sensing that I'm hearing from God in a dream, there's probably a level of suspicion of can we trust dreams or not. Now, as you know, um, when it comes to dreams, research has been done about this. Like, I mean, most of us dream two hours a night, but you only remember 95% of your dreams, which does beg the question, how do researchers even know that? We don't know. Did you know that some people still dream in black and white? Some young people still dream in black and white. They're still seeing dreams like some of you grew up seeing your TV. 
Did you know that women dream longer than men? I don't know what to make of it. So there's all this research done about dreams. Did you know when it comes to dreams, we have more negative dreams than we have positive dreams. And universally around the world, research done on dreams is that people all around the world have the same kind of dreams. They dream about being chased and attacked or being frozen and you can't move or being naked in public or you're late to work. Like people all over the world dream about some of the same things. Casey and I dream differently. There are times I wake up from a super adventurous dream and I try to hurry and go back to sleep so I can finish it. There are times I dream and I wake up and rarely does a dream like negatively impact me. I can just laugh it off. Even the dreams of like getting beat up and chased, I can just laugh. Casey, on the other hand, like dreams play out and she wakes up and it can mess with her. She dreams like an Enneagram 6, all right, for any of you who know. So a few years ago, Casey had a dream and in her dream, I cheated on her. The next two days in our home, it was rough, I'm telling you, all right? At one point, I think she's on the phone with our therapist of Catherine, when can we come in? Josh cheated on me in a dream, we need to talk about it, all right? I found myself praying prayers to God of God, I don't know how this works, but if I show up in Casey's dream tonight, will you help me behave, hand her flowers, (laughs) snicker bar, rubber shoulders in the dream, like just something, God help. I had a dream coming out of my sabbatical four years ago. It's been a long summer, a lot of I was processing. And I remember the last night of my sabbatical, I was praying to God. I was like, God, am I ready to re-engage? Like, am I ready to step back in? And that night I had a dream that a spiritual giant in my life, literally a giant, he's six foot 10, one of my mentors back in Abilene, in the dream, he just took a hold of my shoulders. And in the dream he said, Josh, May the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And I woke up receiving it as a gift from God. Now, I've also had many dreams that make no sense at all. The things that happen in my dreams that, like, would never happen in real life. I've swallowed hangers whole. I've wrestled alligators. I baptized Justin Timberlake one time. Like, there are things that happen in my dreams that would never happen. Kip beat me up in a dream one time. Like, I mean, come on, like, things that would never happen in real life, right? But if somebody were to talk to you, even today, and be like, in a dream, I feel like I heard a word from God. Like, is there suspicion, or do you hear it out? Like, God speaks to people in dreams throughout the entire Bible. So I want to get back to Joseph, but real quick. All right, if you ever have a dream, And you may be thinking that it's God is sending you a message. A couple of things you can do. One, you can look at the word of God. Because God's not going to speak in a way now that God hasn't spoken in the past. So you see if it aligns with the word of God. And two, you share it with somebody you trust. Hey, is there a message here? Can you help me process this? What question would you have as I share with you this dream that I have that may be a word from God? Like you reach out to me or your shepherd or a friend and ask and process it in community because sometimes the Holy Spirit does his best work in community. So Joseph has this dream from God and a dream that was so clear. And for Joseph, after the dream, he had a decision to make. And before the dream, Joseph had chosen divorce. He had developed a plan. And in the dream, the angel of God changed the plan. Did you know as you read the Gospels that Joseph has never called a carpenter until Jesus was an adult in his life? 
And I'm just throwing something out there because we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us much information about Joseph. I wonder if the path in Joseph's life was something with spiritual leadership, a priest, a teacher of the law, a scholar, this sadiq that he had spent years becoming. And I wonder with the birth of Christ and all the confusion that came with it, if Joseph had to change his profession because of it. Not that being a carpenter cannot be used, that they cannot be used for the kingdom of God. But it's not until later on in his life that he's called a carpenter. And the last thing I want you to see is character and obedience. In Matthew chapter 1, 24 and 25, the moment Joseph has a dream, he makes changes. He obeys the voice. He takes Mary as his wife. He practiced self-control so that there would be no confusion about how Jesus came into the world. And through him, the opening pages of the New Testament, you read a story about somebody who valued obedience and character even when it didn't make sense. The voice of God will never condone sin in your life. It will boldly promote character in your life. The voice of God cares more about your identity and who you are in God than the reputation that you have built and that you are in the process of building. I want you to see this. Someone once said, the people of genius are admired, people of wealth are envied, people of power are feared, but only people of character are trusted. And without character, you cannot be trusted. And if you cannot be trusted, you cannot lead. Someone else said this, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. I want you to see two verses, and these are going to remain on the screen for just a few minutes. From Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, and Hebrews chapter 5, and verse 8. And what you see... In Philippians 2, verse 8, in what is known as the Christ hymn, it's being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient. And I want you to see in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, meaning that there was maturation, like there was maturity that happened in the life of Jesus. So God trusted the Son of God with a young woman named Mary, and a man, a righteous man named Joseph, trusted them to instill in Jesus as he matured the value of character and obedience. God trusted Jesus with Joseph and Mary. And Jesus was raised to be obedient when it doesn't make sense and to be obedient even when it's hard. So this morning, I want to ask for you just for a few moments, will you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I want to give you a few things to reflect on. God cares more about your identity than your reputation. Your reputation doesn't root you in an identity. It is your identity in God that forms and shapes your reputation. What I want you to know when we take the bread and the cup today is that what God says about you is more important than what any other human being thinks of you. May the voice of God and his truth 
be so loud in you that it will drown out all of the lies of the enemy when it comes to your identity. Satan's voice will continue to come into your life to whisper things or shout things like you were not good enough. Or that, they, that you know, It's hard to believe all the things you have done in your life, but the voice of God comes to let you know that there is no past and no mistake that God cannot redeem. Our identity in Jesus is not because of anything we have done, but because of Jesus' obedience. So when we take the bread and the cup today, we are reminded of the obedience of Christ that led him to a cross to do hard things. And it's because Jesus' identity was rooted in the heart of the Father, no matter what any other person said about him. So as we take the bread and the cup today and thank Jesus for his obedience, may this bread and this cup instill in us character that we will do what is right, even when it's hard, that we will not cut corners, that we will not cheat people, that we will be people of character before God. And that even when it's hard and it may not make sense in the eyes of the world, that we will be obedient to the path of our Father. And God, this is our prayer. Will you transform us today in this moment? It's through Christ we pray. Amen.